good evening or afternoon or morning if you know depending on whatever you got going on good day <laughs> uh hello we are here to talk about cersei by madeline miller not my cat but we can talk about cersei my cat also um and just to get us started i have an intro question because that's what we do here um, and my intro <laughs> question is, what is your favorite myth? I have an answer. I know. You go yes. first. I'm going to go first. Who are you? I'm Kelly. Hello. My favorite myth is the myth about Persephone and Damn Hades. It. Is that mm. yours? Well, now I'm going to have to think of a different no, one. No, you can do that one, too. That's Okay. No, I want my own. Oh, yeah. That's why I wanted to go first, because I was afraid someone else would have it. Mm, That's Um, a good one. Yeah. But just to briefly explain it, if the people listening haven't heard it, uh, basically, Hades, the god of the underworld, falls in love with the goddess Persephone um, and basically asks Zeus, like, can I have her? And Zeus is like, sure. And so he takes Persephone down to the underworld and Persephone's mother, uh, Demeter, Demeter, I'm not Demeter, sure. Yeah. This will be the first of many um, errors Ooh, in pronunciation for today's wrong. episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she is the goddess of the harvest, and she gets really pissed off that her daughter got stolen, and she basically like kills everything and is like, "I'm not bringing any life back until I get my daughter back." And Zeus is like, okay, fine, you can have her back. But before he gives her back, Hades tricks Persephone into eating a delicious pomegranate. Mm -hmm. And because she has had food from the underworld, she is chained to the underworld. So she has to return for a third of the year um, every year. And that is why we have winter. Because Demeter kills everything. (laughs) When her daughter isn't around. (laughs) In protest. Yes. And what I really like about this myth is, really, I like uh, Demeter being, like, a, you know, bitch mom who's like, fuck all of you. I don't want anyone (laughs) to be happy if I can't have my daughter, and I'm going to make you all suffer. So. Mm. Good one. I like that And I just like myths that explain some kind of actual earthly phenomenon yes yes i this is probably illegal but it's this is mary by the way illegal but i kind of have like a tie for two i love the story of orpheus and eurydice no that's mine do the other one but i won't (laughs) explain that one instead you can help me talk about it when i get to it i will say another of my favorites is when hephaestus comes and finds and they mention this in Circe briefly Hephaestus finds his wife Aphrodite cheating on him and so he makes a huge net of chains waits until they're doing it and then drapes them in the chains so they can't get out but the best part is then he calls all the other gods (laughs) like come look guys Come look at this. Gods are such trolls. That's, I mean, I think I enjoy myths the most that are super petty. Yeah. <laughs> like the gods just being absolute children. 
So many of them are, like, mm-hmm. yeah. about being petty. Yes. Also, like, I think it's worth noting, we're kind of talking about Greek mythology, but there's also a lot of other good mythology out there. Yeah, yes. I mean, you can pick mythology from anywhere, I think. There's a lot yeah. of good Norse stuff, but I am not super familiar with all of it. Yeah. The only mythology I've really learned about has been Greek mythology, obviously, Same. because I'm being educated in this wonderful country where we only pay attention to white people stuff so should i go next since i had mary's other one yes yeah okay yeah now i'm I'm still still trying to find this one i'm thinking (laughs) (laughs) hey so this is emily and um shocker my my favorite myth is orpheus and eurydice what (laughs) i know you didn't see that one coming what Um, shocker so i mean i love a good Tragic tale of failed romance, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason it fails. And, um, you know, this this is the story of uh, Orpheus trying to save his love Eurydice from the underworld. And that dude Hades is back. And Persephone. Yeah. And Hades is like, yo, all right, fine. You can get her back, but you can't look back at her, or she'll be on. She'll be there forever. Uh, and he looks back because whenever a god tells you you can't do this, please know that it will happen yeah. in the myth. Like, it well, just he was has nervous. To. He was nervous. He was nervous, but yes. Um, I also want to note that my favorite movie of all time is Moulin Rouge, and it's actually based on the Orpheus hmm. myth. Okay. I don't think I knew that. Yep. Isn't uh, that also what Hades Town is about? Yes. Yes, it is. Which okay. I would like to see, but now I never will because it's basically the new Hamilton. So. Hades Town, the Tony Award winning musical. So we'll yeah. get to see it in like 30 years, maybe. Exactly. I should have I'm gone. Seeing, I'm seeing Hamilton in January. Yeah. And <laughs> it only seems- took. Yeah. Like so many years. years. (laughs) I mean, I really want to see Hamilton, but I feel like it would be a crime for me to get to see it before you see it. So I'm glad that you're seeing it now because that means I can go see it. Yes. I mean, you could go see it before. I would like everyone to enjoy Hamilton. Yeah, but I'm not going to. So please enjoy it. I'm I'm just mad. I'm mad about Hades Town because I saw all these people that I really like on Twitter talking about it before the Tonys happened, being like, this musical is so amazing, blah, blah, blah. Then it got nominated for all these Tonys. But at the time, back when I saw these people tweeting about it, I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I should go see that. Oh, my God, Kelly. You were interested in Hades Town before it was cool. Well, no. I just had the opportunity to see it and didn't. And now Mm. I never will. Because back then, it would have been fairly easy to get a ticket. Yeah. I've been waiting for the soundtrack. I mean, you know, because I'm not living in New York or anything. So You know, I'm very fancy. I've been waiting for the soundtrack to come out so I can listen to it. Yeah. And I started listening to it with Todd, and I listened to, like, one song, and I was like, I can't listen to this with you because if you really like it and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. We need to process that separately. Yeah, that's rough. That's nice that that's something you can share, because Ben does not like musicals. So rude. Love musicals so much. I love musicals so much. Obviously, my favorite movie is Moulin Rouge. Yes, yes. Uh, Susan, what you got? Well, 
I had to think of another one on the fly. So, <laughs> and then I realized, wow, I only remember bits and pieces of several things. That's okay. What, were the, so, what was the one you were thinking about? The one that Kelly did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then I was trying to remember some other ones. Um, but I will say, so the other, like, name that sticks out the most to me that I remember from when I read The Odyssey was Calypso. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, she was my favorite part of The Odyssey. But I also really like, these are all just pieces of The Odyssey. I also really love um, Odysseus's confrontation with the Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Um, I like some good trickery. I barely remember Cersei from really that. Yeah, like I couldn't. Like I remember the basic kind of like outline of it, but like the two stories within the Odyssey that really stuck with me were Calypso and Cyclops. Yeah, I kind of used to slash have gotten um, Calypso and Cersei confused because they're both like. Ladies that Odysseus was with, Banged. with names that start with C. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just stayed with Calypso yeah. much longer, like seven years. Yeah. Um, I also I remember enjoying reading about Medusa, but I can't like remember like didn't Perseus kill her? I can't I remember so. how she. Yeah, I couldn't. I can't remember like the details of it. I just think she is fascinating yes. as yeah. a concept. Yeah. Um, sure. separately from that. So a lot of, know, this lot a great of evil magic women in mythology, which I think is something we're going to get into talking mm-hmm. about Cersei. Yes. Oh, and I'm pretty sure Vanessa Williams played Calypso. She did. <laughs> I recall <laughs> watching it in high school. <laughs> okay. I did not see all that. Maybe that's why it stuck with me. I didn't yes. either, but now I want to. Mm. She looks hot. That's all um, I'll say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into talking about this book. Um, before we what get book? started, I, Cersei by Madeline Miller. I'm just kidding. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like Odyssey. how you actually believed that I was asking. The that Odyssey. Question. We're actually, this is about the Odyssey. That's what y'all read for today, right? Yeah. Basically. Okay. Part of it. Um, so spoiler warnings. Yeah. As usual, we're going to talk about this entire book. Um, I do have questions specifically about the end. So like, yeah, if you don't want to hear that. Don't be here any longer. Well, you could listen to the summary. Yes. But then get out. My yeah. prophecy my prophecy for this episode, because we haven't finished it yet, but my prophecy is we're going to spoil everything. Do you want to use your prophecy voice? Do I have a prophecy voice? Uh Helios does. Yeah. What to spoil everything. Oh, that was a good prophecy voice. I, I was like, it's it like a big okay. booming voice. <laughs> but that works too. I was just going for like Trelawney kind of. Creepy. Yeah. That was my inspiration. Yeah. Trelawney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, um, good read summary. Um, I apologize. My voice is kind of like coming in and out. I'm still getting over being sick. So, I'm going to do my best. I'm drinking some emergency out of a wine glass right now. Um, <laughs> Gotta spice it up. Just to make it fancy. I hope it's mixed with Yeah, that. I hope you just poured a packet of emergency into a glass of rosé. Yes, that's <laughs> The pink lemonade one. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I wonder what that would taste like. Gross. Bad. <laughs> okay, uh, summary. So I'm about – oh, gosh. All right, I might, you know, butcher a lot of these names. 
Um, In the house of Helios, god of the sun and mightiest of the titans, a daughter is born, but Circe is a strange child, not powerful like her father, nor viciously alluring like her mother. Turning to the world of mortals for companionship, she discovers that she does possess power, the power of witchcraft, which can transform rivals into monsters and menace the gods themselves. Threatened, Zeus banishes her to a deserted island where she hones her occult craft, tames wild beasts, and crosses paths with many of the most famous figures in all of mythology, including the Minotaur, Daedalus, Daedalus, I think, Daedalus, and his doomed son Icarus, the murderous Medea, and of course, wily Odysseus. But there is danger, too, for a woman who stands alone, and Circe unwittingly draws the wrath of both men and gods, ultimately finding herself pitted against one of the most terrifying and vengeful of the Olympians. To protect what she loves most, Circe must summon all of her strength and choose once and for all whether she belongs with the gods she is born from or the mortals she has come to love. There you go. Beautiful. Uh, There's a lot to unpack in, in this story. So much. I feel like I should have done a lot more research on mythology um, following up so that I could be more intelligent about this, but I did not. So I apologize to anyone listening who's like a big mythology geek. I'm probably going to fuck some stuff up and ask some dumb questions. Um, If you want to write in and correct us on anything that we say that's wrong or insulting, uh, have at it. Join us. It's not going to make me upset. I know that I'm dumb about some of this stuff. So, like, please. Hit us up. We'll take take feedback any way we can get it. Yeah. Even if it's to insult us in our intelligence. But, speaking of people (laughs) who are not dumb about uh, mythology, uh, Madeline Miller is a scholar of the classics, um, and I feel like that comes across in this novel. Um, big time. Big yeah. time. <laughs> so um, how familiar were you guys with the story of Odysseus before reading this novel and specifically Circe? I think some of us have talked a little bit about that already, but maybe we can elaborate on <laughs> I that. I accidentally answered that question already. I was half familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I read it in college in one of my world literature classes. I read the Odyssey, but I think because I was like, a sophomore in college and didn't care. I was like reading it really quickly and I was interested in it and entertained by it. Yeah. But I fudged a lot of the details over time. I definitely thought Cersei and Calypso were the same person. Yeah. I think that's a pretty, Uh, I was actually reading the Wikipedia page for Cersei earlier, just like the myth. And it mentioned that a lot of people have confused the two. I think even in like actual writings. So, I don't know. I'm, like, sort of familiar with it. Not enough. Like, I was definitely constantly Googling stuff as I read this book. Do you feel like this is a book that it's kind of necessary to Google stuff to really, like, get what's happening or really appreciate everything? Or is that just you doing you? That was just me thinking. I mean, I don't think I had to do that. And there were definitely some times when I was like out somewhere and was like, oh, I just, I need to keep going. But I, 
I would hear a name and be like, that sounds familiar. How do I know Mm. that name? And then I would look him up. Or I would think, I wonder if Cersei's mom is in any famous tales and look her, you know, so like. Yeah. So it's more about your curiosity than like needing to know more to understand the story. I don't think the book asks you to know really anything to have any prior knowledge, honestly. Mm-hmm. Because I also, I mean, I read the Odyssey in high school and have not read it since. Um, but there was like a brief period in high school where I was like super into mythology because we read the Odyssey and I was like, I love this. And then I read um, Edith Hamilton's mythology. Yes. Um, but again, I was, you know, 16 or something when I read it. So a it's been bad. a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of the extent of my uh, knowledge of this subject. So going into this, like, like Susan, I didn't remember much about Cersei. And I just decided, like, I'm just going to read it and not so that I can kind of experience this as though I'm hearing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then I looked her up after to kind of see, like, if I could figure out which parts were uh, Madeline Miller's invention and which parts were part of the original story. And it turns out it's pretty hard to figure that out because there have been so many versions of Cersei. Mm-hmm. For sure. I guess I, like, maybe I was just more conscious of Cersei as a character because I have a cat named Cersei. She's named after... <laughs> Um, she's named after the Game of Thrones character, but the Game of Thrones character is named after Cersei from mythology. So, um, I don't know. I just feel like if, if you have a pet with a literary name and you're a nerd, which like, why would you have a pet with a literary name if you're not a nerd? I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, um, you're kind of like more conscious of that name and like what it means i guess so i don't know i think like that made me more like aware of cersei and like what that name means beyond just like oh it's a character in game of thrones like it it has a obviously right means other stuff right well my cat's name is penelope yeah named after the harry potter character penelope clearwater who i assume is named after (laughs) penelope because was penelope a name before penelope in I don't know. The Odyssey? Good, call, good question. I honestly don't think so. Well, and as everyone knows, Roger's middle name is Minotaur. <laughs> is it? <laughs> no. Now it is. It is now. Oh, <laughs> His middle name is Federer. He's a tennis dog. Minotaur. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure Edward is named after Edward Cullen in Twilight. Oh, oh man. Because some children named him around That's the time tough. Twilight was big. Oh my god. tough fate. <laughs> I didn't realize you didn't name Edward. Wow. Well, it fits him. It yeah. does. I mean, it's, it's his. I know That's two the thing is like, named Edward, so. When I got him, I was like, this is his name. Like, yeah. yeah. He just seems like an Edward. Uh, when I got Roger, his name was Jeb. So. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> when, I was like, no. literally anything else. Would was be good. he named after Jeb Bush? <laughs> <laughs> when I got Cersei, her name was Gypsy, and I was like, "No, we're not doing that. That's offensive." <laughs> because that is I have a several reasons slur. why I don't want to do that. <laughs> and Penelope's original name was Ayana. Oh, which That's a good name? I hate it. <laughs> Roger has actually said 
it said Romeo slash Jeb because he was like a two time stray, so he had been like in a shelter <laughs> twice. <laughs> so he had two And they didn't two names, re- both of which are bad. <laughs> they didn't keep one they like named him again. Yeah. It literally said Romeo slash Jeb. Wow. They're like either or we've just been calling him Romeo Jeb. They didn't say that, but I assume that's what's going on. And so you went so for I a perfect like, combination of those two names, Roger. The first thing I'm going to do is not name him either of those. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Brief sidebar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all of that's to say, I know a little bit about Cersei because my cat's <laughs> name is Cersei. <laughs> that's all I got but I mean I guess my second part of that was just like how much do you feel like you needed to know about uh, Cersei to like like what's commonly known about Cersei to understand what was going on in the book Um, and I guess like we were kind of saying you don't really need to the only reason I was thinking that it was sort of like beneficial to go back and look at how Cersei is normally portrayed is Obviously, Madeline Miller is doing a retelling because she is trying to say something different about this character than what we're used to hearing. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people are calling this novel a feminist retelling of Cersei. And to understand why that is, you kind of have to know, like, what is the original story and how is this story more feminist than the original story? Um And so I guess that kind of goes into my next question is, would you agree that this is a feminist retelling? And if so, like, what is it that makes this story feminist? And if not, why not? I, like, super, I struggled with this question, particularly while I was reading, because I have Mm -hmm. heard hype for this book. Yes, this book has gotten a lot of hype. It's on a lot of best of lists. Yes. Um, it was the book of the month, book of the year. Yeah. Which was when I got it, was when they were selling it as the book of the year. Like, I've heard it be super hyped. I've specifically heard a lot of women love it because it is hailed as a feminist retelling. And I was asking myself the entire time I was reading, what is making this a feminist retelling? Is it because it's from Cersei's perspective? Is it because Cersei's a woman that has some amount of power? Because there are myths about, you know, women with power. It's, like, far less than men, but, like, Athena's powerful. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I think it is a feminist retelling. I think it's a retelling that definitely tries to humanize Cersei, not like from divinity or whatever, but like tries to make her (laughs) a character that people can understand her motivations and uh, sort of like appreciate her more as a person. But I don't, I don't, I mean, and she says offhanded things all the time about how like, oh, well, of course, so-and-so is not going to get in trouble because he's a son, you know, like, but I don't know if like that makes it a feminist retelling. It seems to me more like in the vein of other retellings, there's a retelling about the Odyssey from Penelope's perspective, but I can't remember who wrote it. It's the Penelope ad by Margaret Atwood. Yes. Margaret Atwood. She's written that. And then there's other books that sort of like maybe create a fictional character, 
Like, I'm thinking about Lamb by Christopher Moore, which Christopher Moore's a turd, but... (laughs) 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 Lamb is interesting, like, creating a fictional character to look at a uh, historic or mythological event to kind of give a different perspective and make the characters seem more human. Like, that's what Cersei felt like to me. Like, it's about women. Yeah. And it's about... Women being powerful. Women being powerful. Women struggling with things that only women experience, like motherhood. um, Giving yourself your own C-section. Doing your own C-section. Which, you know. Classic. Classic woman woman stuff. Normal stuff. Like, it is about (laughs) women, but it is... is, Just girl things. Like, is a text being about women, does that automatically make it like a capital F feminist book? I don't know, Susan Kelly, why don't you weigh in? I, when I was reading about Cersei in general earlier after finishing the book, uh, I was reading about how a lot of the tales of Cersei and a lot of the interpretations of Cersei present her as a temptress, as Mm -hmm. an evil witch, Mm -hmm, as, you know, like a force of power that is not necessarily like, good you know and not only that but she's often portrayed as someone who uses sex um for power which is a stereotype that female characters often have in mythology right i mean like honestly in life in general yeah yeah like the temptress idea this woman who is like you know, luring men into her her island and then turning them into animals. And Odysseus right. jumped up in that bed. Well, yeah, but so, also like if maybe they hadn't tried to rape her. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Is like I think that the way that this story is creating a more feminist version of Cersei is that it's kind of showing all the things that Cersei struggled with and why she may have, you know, become. Like, how she came into this kind of power and how she's using this power is, like, in a much more feminist way mm-hmm. than um, in the traditional stories. Like, if all of these men have come to rape her yeah, and she is now using this power against men because they have come to rape her, that's, like, mm-hmm. a different thing than if she's, like, luring in these poor innocent men and then killing right. them. You know, right. and, like, I think that that's a huge part of of why, like, I do consider this book to be feminist, especially, I think also, you know, she spends a lot of the early part of the story, like, kind of, you know, at the will of her father and mm-hmm. and kind of struggling to be what he expects. And, and also not being, va- she's not valued because she's not considered, like, attractive enough. Right, right. She's not beautiful. She doesn't have a beautiful voice. She's, yeah. you know, constantly, she's trying, she tries to find love with Glaucos and he, you know, uh, you know, we all know how oh, that goes. Glaucos. Oh, you fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> but she, so, yeah, I he mean, was she no had, catch she's, either, pun intended. Yeah, and then, you know, her brother, who she, like, raises and basically raises herself, and, like, he kind of turns on her, too. And all of these men mm-hmm. in her in her life and men that she has been – she has grown up around have just kind of, like, pushed her aside. And yeah. she kind of, like, figures – and when she gets cast into solitude, she kind of figures out, like, I am happier and better off without 
all of these men and all of these people in general, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, like, not even just the men yeah. who torture her in her childhood. Like, her mother doesn't care about her. Her sister yeah. sister's a her. bitch. Yeah. All the other <laughs> Athena keeps fucking with her. Well, and I think <laughs> it's... I think she has an interesting um, relationship with her sister, too. And, yes. like, the conversation that they have... Like, I guess the last conversation they really have, um, in the book anyway, when her sister, after she has helped her, you know, take this minotaur out, and her sister's kind of like, you know, I always treated you like you were weak, but, like, really I knew that, like, you were strong. And Cersei's like, fuck you. Like, I don't want to hear this shit. I'm leaving. But (laughs) I don't care what you think about me. Bye. Yeah. But I did think it was interesting to just see, like, because I don't know how to pronounce her. Is it Pacify? Pacify? Pacify. Pacify. Okay. Susan needs to just introduce all the names, apparently. Yes. Did you listen to this on audiobook? Yeah, that's what I was saying. That would have oh, been a that's good how move. she knows it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's that, but in a British accent. So Mary probably wouldn't like it. That's a fire. <laughs> I was like, yeah. either you secretly know Greek. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. It's pacifier, according to whoever narrated that. I'm sure yeah. that was right. Yeah. yeah. I had to look up how that was spelled because I was like, I don't think I've heard that name before. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> it didn't sound familiar to me. So I was like, hold on. It has that little. Who that? double dot symbol above the a whatever that's called i will say too that um just like getting back to the feminist thing that like witchcraft in general and we we can talk about witchcraft now i didn't really have a great question formulated around it i just kind of i want to talk about witchcraft um but witchcraft in general has sort of always been aligned with like female power and like been seen as this like negative thing um and to me, sort of, like, exploring that as the as the book does, because, like, I mean, yeah, there are some male characters that use witchcraft as well, but, like, we're really focusing on Cersei's witchcraft here, and then in the end, I guess she kind of, like, teaches Penelope, too. Um, and so, like, I don't know, like, kind of, like, re-examining witchcraft in the way that um, that magic is looked down upon, and she's kind of, like not using it for good all the time necessarily (laughs) but like um she's finding her power and like her place in the world through this witchcraft and like becoming a stronger person through it and it's not i mean she makes mistakes and she does some dumb shit with it but overall i think like it's what it's what like kind of like makes her come into her own as a powerful person is like realizing like oh you know like this is something i'm good at yeah, you know. and I think it's it's especially powerful because, you know, the rest of the powers of the gods are things that they just have and don't have to work at. Yeah. And she is kind of – she's a nymph, and nymphs are considered lower, like, the lower class of the gods. They're not special. They don't do much. Um, and, like, she always, like, assumed that she didn't have anything to contribute, and then once she realizes that – she has this power and she like works on it and then it's so much more fulfilling for her than just being bestowed with these like godly mm-hmm. blessings would have been. Right. Plus she gets a line familiar. That's the best thing about this book. Yes. <laughs> and the saddest thing is when the lion dies. Yeah. 
It's been a lot of lion death in the last two podcasts. <laughs> yes, just <laughs> trigger warning all the lion death. Just like that, I mean, gets me every time. Don't kill a lion, I will cry. Yeah. And it wasn't even like the di- the lion died in like a, you know, super like epic tragic way or anything. It just died of old age oh. in bed with her. But, it was, but it, was, you know, it was very sweet, you know, like it had lots of babies yeah. and they had a good long life. Yeah. yeah. It's still sad though and it's just like another reason that like I guess we see throughout the book and we'll talk about this more later I know, but like we see throughout the book like mortality kind of like appeals to her because she just like has to sit there and be the same and watch the things that she loves die around her. Um, but let's talk about witchcraft a little bit more first, Mary. Yeah. yeah. What were you going to say about witchcraft? Me? Yeah, you were getting all excited. You had your yeah, book I out. Yeah, was, I was trying before <laughs> we started recording. I had my book out called Witches of the World, which is just like a book for kids, probably, that just talks about witchcraft uh, and how it's been viewed throughout history. But I think it's significant that Cersei practices witchcraft and calls it witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's like very focused on nature and herbs and things like that. And then her knowledge of what to do with them. I don't know, like witchcraft has a long tradition of being uh, like viewed as something only women do mm-hmm. and something only bad women do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like if a woman was too independent, it was because of witchcraft. Yes. It's also got a strong association with, like, old women. Mm. The crone, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's interesting to see Cersei, who is not an old woman, but, like, sort of, like, an eternally youthful woman, practicing witchcraft. I don't know that I really have anything interesting to say about witchcraft either, but it definitely makes it seem like... By saying Cersei does witchcraft and not, like, she is divine... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes it seem like, oh, well, she just, like, does this thing. But we, the gods, have true power. Right. And, like, and while yet, like, I acknowledge... She's capable of tricking even gods and, like, yes. testing spells that even gods can't Yeah, uh, Yes. Like, she's able to ward off Athena. Like, Athena cannot come onto the island because of the spell she casts. So, like, clearly Athena is not, it's powerful. Like, more powerful than she is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like an unknown power. Athena is wild. I kind of just imagined it like a bubble over the island and Athena was out there like, tap, tap, tap. (laughs) (laughs) Let me in, please. Nope, you gotta wait three days. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Cersei tells Penelope at one point, like towards the end of the book, Penelope's really interested in witchcraft and wants to watch Cersei prepare her herbs and see what she does with them. And Cersei says, oh, it's just some herbs, some knowledge, and will. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just sheer force of will to do witchcraft. And Cersei says, as she's out traveling around with Telemachus, she's like, wouldn't be surprised if we went back to the island and your mom's a witch. Yeah. And she she is. Yeah. So she's like, hello, I'm a witch now. How are you guys? Yeah. And they're like, mm, we've been boning. Ugh. Well, speaking of Will, it's also <laughs> interesting that, boning. like, Cersei. Oh, I'm sorry, what? I just, I thought Susan was going to say, speaking of boning. <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry. That does sound like something I might say, but no. (laughs) Speaking of will, um, in like when Cersei kind of discovers her powers, like she's punished because she seeks out the power and like does it on purpose, whereas like her sister and others like just accidentally were aware of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's more emphasis on her like choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And she does she it to, to, to harm one of her own. Yeah. But speaking of boning, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of boning. There's a lot of sex in this book. There yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> this but book they is always pretty sexy. Peacefully fade to black. Yeah. There's not it's okay. You know, like, it's not a lot of graphic sex. It's just a lot of, like, I fucked a bull, okay? Yeah. Like, it's more <laughs> like that. That yeah. was my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, lo- I love how her sister's like, you can ask Daedalus what happened because it's his fault. And he's, and he's like. so polite. Yeah. He's, he's like, like well, it is my fault. I brought a bull and your sister <laughs> fucked it. And that is my fault. <laughs> well, he, he's so polite. He's and like, she that, really I wanted to see this bull. I made a fake cow. She could get in and she needed to get closer. So I wheeled her out. And he was just like very carefully yeah. explaining it. And she's like, look. <laughs> oh, look. Lordy. No, thank you. Yeah. Okay. She'd be boning gods and humans. Mm-hmm. Speaking of boning. I, I also, the Minotaur scene was my favorite because not only do we get, like, this funny moment of her being like, look, this is what happened. Daedalus, shut up now. Yeah. You're not doing a good job. But also, like, we learn, we see more about, like, Daedalus being trapped. Yeah. And why he's trapped. And we sort of start thinking about confinement as a theme of the novel and being a prisoner as a theme of the novel because Cersei's sort of a prisoner on her island. We get to see I mean, Cersei. She is a prisoner. Speaking yeah. of boning, Cersei and Dallas. Yeah. Uh, have a fling. My favorite fling. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just like a really exciting part of the book. Maybe because she's off the island. I don't yeah. Know. It's like the first time she gets to go and like see people, and they're people that we recognize and. It's like it's exciting when he's like talking about how he's gonna he's like, I have this idea for how to keep the Minotaur under control and it's like, oh, we know where this is going. Yeah. He also like very funnily, he's like, I've gotta build a bigger cage. Yeah. <laughs> like, anytime anyone mentions like the Minotaur is growing really fast, he's just like a bigger cage. Yeah, I also just like the part where like they have this little minotaur is like so disturbing and like mm-hmm. like wonderful to read. It was just like so fucked up. Like this, like the way they described it as having like a toddler body <laughs> with like a little fuzzy head is just like and these like black soulful eyes. <laughs> I just like Which could imagine. Like Roger, cute. see, I should have named him Minotaur. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It could be it his little name. Cute. It's not too late. Yeah, but also, he bit some of Cersei's fingers off and chewed on them and wanted more. I know. <laughs> but Cersei was like, thank God it was me, because at least my fingers will grow back. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about mortality, because we already kind of brought it up a little bit, or I did. Um, and it comes up a lot in the description of this book. Um 
So a big plot point for Cersei is she has a lot of empathy for mortals in a way that a lot of the gods or most of the gods don't, um, aside from like maybe Prometheus. Um, and I kind of want to, I want to talk about Prometheus as well, because obviously her encounter with Prometheus is really important. Um, why do you think she feels so connected to mortals? What's behind her fascination with mortals? Um, and also just like, what do you think the deal is with that Prometheus when she sort of like gives Prometheus a little bit of, uh, nectar relief. Yeah. <laughs> when he's sweet nectar. <laughs> sweet nectar. Makes it sounds like it's punished. Like... <laughs> this yeah, is not a euphemism. Like it's yeah. just nectar. It's literally it definitely sounds like one. <laughs> she gives him juice. Um, you know, we'll tell you if they had sex. It wasn't like that. Um, it was just some nectar. <laughs> it was just yeah. nectar. But this is like she keeps going back to this encounter with Prometheus throughout the book as well, and like thinking about it. Um, so, like, yeah, like, what did you guys make of all of this? Like, why is this such a big deal to her? Well, I think like that encounter is important and formative because it's the first time she really sees like the horrors that the gods inflict upon even each other. Mm-hmm. And then when she finds out, like, when she learns why he's being punished in such a brutal way, she, like, doesn't understand right. what's wrong with what he did. And I think she's, like, from that point forward, she starts to understand, like, how brutal the people she has been raised by are. And she sort of starts to want to distance herself from them. And I think you know, the more she sees what the gods are and then sees what mortals are like, she starts to relate to mortals more. And there's also the thing where she has the voice of a mortal, which is yeah, um, yeah. interesting. Right. And, it, you know, she's told that mortals won't treat her like a god because they'll hear her and think that she's just one of them. Right. Because apparently humans have very, like, weak-sounding voices, not, like, booming god voices. Does know. that just mean that all the gods are walking around like, hello! <laughs> yeah. Mortal. Well, she, like, describes their laughter as sounding like like the ocean and shit. And I'm like, this sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> like, all yeah, of these, all the like, mortals disparate... just sound like little nasally bitches. Yeah. yeah. We're like, <laughs> it's like when you when there's like something about a giant and there's like little tiny people and you just hear the little tiny squeaking sound. Yeah, that's what Cersei sounds like. Yeah, and the mortals and us. Um, with Prometheus too, like her when she kind of keeps coming back to that, her her fascination with the whole thing grows when she realizes, like, because he had the gift of prophecy, he would have known exactly how. And that he would be punished Mm -hmm. and did it anyway. And it's like from there, she is almost every time she meets a mortal kind of trying to figure out, well, what is so what's so special about them that he would do this, even knowing that it would turn out really horrible for his liver. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think she she kind of like learns empathy and like learns about because he obviously has such empathy for mortals that he watches them suffering and thinks, I will give them this thing and make their lives easier. And that's what she does for him when she sees him suffering. And she su- she's like, I see you suffering. I will give you something. Yeah. Um, and I think she she learns how to feel for other people the way that the gods don't seem to be able to experience a lot of the time. And I yeah. think she kind of is, like, disgusted by them 
like, pretty quickly. And Mm -hmm. also just, like, their disregard for everything because they don't have to worry about death. Right. And they they often – or she often brings up the fact that it's, like, gods actually love it when terrible things happen to – mortals like or when there are monsters because it just means like they're gonna get more prayers yeah like they're gonna adore us even more if like they're suffering so right yeah um her first encounter with a mortal um who as we established was a dummy <laughs> glaucus big old um, dummy which all i can think of is glaucoma yeah but, right um I really enjoyed that interaction where she was like, oh, yeah, like, Prometheus. And he's like, it's, like, old. And she's like, oh, yeah. oh right, yeah, I don't remember that from my real life. I, that's he's like, like, how old, old are you? And she's like, I- I'm your age. <laughs> he's like, gosh, that was generations ago. And she's like, no, no, don't worry. It was just it's a silly. It's just something I heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just a dumb woman. I just, like, heard something. Yeah. I, th- I found it really interesting the way that uh, – she talked about time and how t- how quickly time passes for mm-hmm. gods as opposed to mortals, especially when, you know, she's um, – when Telegonus is talking about how it's been 16 years, like, Athena's not going to come kill me. She probably forgot already. And Cersei's like, 16 years is, like, a minute for gods. Like, Yeah, also, when mm-hmm. her son leaves, it's like he – steps out and comes right back in the door and she's like whoa you're back already and like all this shit happened but it like when you're reading it 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 literally seems like he came back because like he forgot his bag or something yeah Yeah. like it's real fast yeah so much so many things have happened so much time has passed and so many mortals have like come and gone and died and uh you know i but i think like ultimately what uh the, her fascination with mortals is the fact that to them life is actually valuable, right? Because they there is like an expiration date, and yet they're still mm-hmm. shitty. Yeah, that's like, true. Tons of mortals are shitty to her as well. It's not just the gods. Yeah. Um, speaking about shitty mortals, should we talk about Odysseus? Yeah. <laughs> He's such a dick. He's such a dick. And, like, when... Okay, so I wrote here that he's, like, the best dude Cersei meets. I want to clarify this. I don't mean he... I think he's actually a good dude. But for some reason, Cersei really admires him in a way that, like, sets him apart from other guys. I think Um, she... I think she admires Daedalus equally, but that is something that can't happen because she has to go home and he can't leave, you know? So, I mean, basically my question about Odysseus was, like, how do you feel about him in this novel versus, like, other portrayals of him that you've read? You know, like, in the Odyssey, how do you feel about his relationship with Cersei? Like, and, like, what do you think Cersei, like, why does he appeal to Cersei so much when, like, clearly he's, like, she acknowledges, like, he's done all this bad shit, right? But she thinks she has, too. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what do you guys think about Odysseus? I mean, this is Cersei's story. Cersei is the hero of this story, if there is one. Whereas in the Odyssey... Odysseus is the hero of that story. Also, yeah. in the Odyssey, isn't Odysseus telling the story? 
I think so. So, like, he's gonna make himself sound... Yeah. Well, and it's not that he didn't do the things that he did in the Odyssey, but, you know, he did a lot of other shit, too, that he didn't mention. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I would say in the Odyssey, he's only portrayed as, like, clever Mm -hmm. and... But all for the benefit of, like, getting home. And not, like... That's not, like, how he uses his cunning all the time here. Yeah. Like, for the good. I mean, he is he is portrayed as really loving and respecting his wife. Mm-hmm. So that... But... Is here. <laughs> but he also fucks But she ain't here right lot. now, so... Yeah. You know. I, it's interesting how it was described as, like, when you're in another god's area, oh, country, yeah. or whatever... <laughs> Or area. What a fuckboy line this was. Yes, please explain this. Like, when you're in another god's territory, you have to pay tribute to them, and it's okay. Like, Athena might be your patron, but when you're in, uh, I don't know, Aphrodite's territory, and you pay tribute to Aphrodite, Athena's fine with that. Because, like... Right. And so, and how else like, may well, I pay tribute other than place fucking now, you? So, like, yeah. it's fine if I sleep with her. Penelope won't mind. Well, and how highly do you have to think of your own dick to think of it as paying tribute? <laughs> like, you're welcome. I guess probably not that great. <laughs> also, in even in the Odyssey itself, I remember reading it in college and being like, he spent literal years yeah, hanging out with Calypso and Cersei. Years. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he was in too big of a hurry. No. No. And he also, uh, what I what I really like about this representation of him that I never thought about before is that, you know, a- after he gets back to Ithaca, he becomes, like, an even worse person because he's so obsessed with, like, adventure and heroism and power. And when he's just living this life that he supposedly so desperately wanted to get back to, it's, like, not enough for him anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that was really interesting. Um, And just, you know, how, how bad his relationship was with his son, even though when he's with Cersei, you know, all those years ago and his son is a child, you know, he's talking so fondly of his son and how much he loves him, but then it turns out, like, he's not a good father. But, like, he never knew his son, because, like, yeah. like, he left his son as a child and he comes back and it's been right a long time and, like, he's an adult person now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the sacrifice you make when you're hanging out with nymphs. Hot witches. Um, but yeah, I I didn't ever think about Odysseus as anything other than the hero that I've read about. So I think that's yet another feminist spin that this novel takes is taking a celebrated hero, male hero of mythology and being like, but actually... Actually. Mm-hmm. Let's take a step back and look at all the shit this guy did. Like, it's more nuanced, right? Like, Odysseus Mm -hmm. isn't just good. Cersei isn't just bad. It doesn't mean Odysseus is all bad, and it doesn't mean that Cersei is all good. Right. 
But, like, it's more complex and nuanced than you get in just a straightforward myth. Yeah. Well, it is interesting, too, because, you know, when, you know, because Cersei and Odysseus have a son together, and the son grows up and starts wanting to hear about his father, and Cersei is very selective in the stories she tells about him. Sanitizes him. Yeah. Um, And then, eventually... Odysseus's two sons meet and it's interesting how their uh I don't know their opinions of their father figure are like so different because like one just heard these like fantasy like hero stories about his father and the other one is like no I saw him he yeah. wasn't that great you know yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> he was kind of an asshole so and you know when the time comes Telemachus is like I'm good. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a hero. I don't need to be a hero. Yeah. And Telegonus, who has been hearing all these like hero stories about his dad, is like, I want to go be a hero. is like, let me go. I want to be a hero. To be fair, he grew up on a desert island. That was my favorite. I loved it when Telemachus was like, I'm good. Yeah. Um. So I do want to... I want to talk about the ending. Yes. Um, I felt very emotional at this ending, and I'm not sure why exactly. (laughs) I did, too. It was very, like, emotional for me. Um, So, just to, like, briefly explain the ending. So, Cersei decides that she wants to become mortal, um, and so she she creates this potion. She's not sure if it's going to work. Um, but she has these visions of, like, becoming mortal and having children and growing old. Having children with who? <laughs> with Odysseus's son. No big deal. Her, you know, Odysseus's other son, not yeah, her not own the son. One not that, her son. Yeah. So, you know, it's fine. It's not, you know, weird because... With her son's half-brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> Let's just put it Ooh, that yeah. way. When it's you say fine. it like that. That means her, like, if she has kids with that dude her son is going to be their uncle and also their half brother i hate it yeah so just so you know um and odysseus is gonna be their grandpa and like their dead dad (laughs) dead stepdad be like uh this gross anyway um (laughs) so she has these visions of like having kids and getting old and all that stuff and just like living a normal life and then it ends with her drinking the potion and i'm assuming she gets poisoned and dies not seeing oh really no no oh i, was, I thought she no. transforms and <laughs> i was just, oh, I was okay. just trolling <laughs> I, I, I was like that's dark no wonder you felt like, emotional she, what a sad time <laughs> she seemed to have sort of she had like prophetic visions and kind of like had knowledge about things. So yeah. I feel like she was probably accurate in her visions. Yeah. Um, so we didn't really need to see her drink it and then be like, Oh, and then all that stuff happened. Like, yeah. And just assume that's what happened. Right. Right. Um, but how'd you guys feel about this ending? And I'm now Googling, like, how did she die? And did you cry? Because I cried. Well, I don't think, I mean, I don't think in the original myths she does become mortal, does she? Um, not that I know of. Because I was looking at it earlier and I... Just chickity check that out real quick. Chickity check. 
Yeah, I uh, didn't see that, but maybe it did happen. But I think it's a really interesting and powerful choice because I think, you know, she... I think she's giving up something, like, that so many mortals would want to have something that is, like, fleeting, but because it's fleeting, more meaningful, as we talked about. Because, like, I always think of, and, you know, I never, and I know Emily hates me for this, but I never finished Six Feet Under because it freaked me out too much and I couldn't deal with it. However. Best show ever. I do remember one line where a character asks another character, uh, why do people have to die? And he says, to make life important. Mm -hmm. And I think about that all the time because I think, you know, death is, like, something that obviously people have been afraid of since the beginning of time. Like, that's the reason mythology exists in the first place, pretty much. It's probably the reason we're recording this podcast because, like, we're afraid of dying. Yeah. I everything I do is because I'm afraid of dying. Yeah. Um but I don't know. I mean, I think it's like really it it was really emotional to to read the part where she makes this decision to just like she's like I want to feel I guess like the scarcity of life. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how, you know, when you have a day where you don't have anything to do and you think like, man, I'm going to get all this shit done because I have nothing to do. And then you just sit around and watch TV all day because you're like, I've got all day. I'll just do it later. Mm-hmm. But then like other days when you're really busy and you only have like an hour, you get a lot of shit done in that hour. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Just like magnified. True. I, I found an answer. Okay. What's the answer? Sort of. So in the Telegony, which is this is the lost, like, epic poem of Telegonus' story. Um, at the end of that, this is just the last sentence of a Wikipedia thing. Telegonus brings his father's corpse and Penelope and Odysseus's other son Telemachus back to Aea, where Odysseus is buried and Circe makes the others immortal. I did of see that. Herself mortal. So, Telegonus marries Penelope, and Telemachus marries Circe. Ew. In this lost, this lost, uh... Tradesies. That's even worse. Only two of the poem's original text survive. They traded moms. Interesting. Yeah, it's like that movie, uh... What's her face? Freaky Friday. Robin Wright, and, uh... Oh, <laughs> yeah. I only know about that movie because they did it on How Did This Get Made. It's like Wife Swap, except moms that you can have sex with. I was thinking of that SNL sketch with uh, Justin Timberlake and uh, What's-His-Face, where oh, they think mother about fucking each other's moms. Yeah. We could love each other's mothers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pushing that lady where you came out as a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um. On that note, any other comments uh, about this book? <laughs> Things that you want to talk about? <laughs> um. I I marked a lot of places in the book that I thought were beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Are any in particular you want to share with the class? No, they're my private <laughs> thoughts. Okay. Um. I'll, I'll look. If anyone wants I to talk, I do think this will make a good TV show, and it will be a TV show. 
Uh-huh. And we'll all have to subscribe to a new streaming service in order to watch it. Uh, Or one of us has to subscribe. Yeah, Yeah. and then we share. share. Shh, don't tell them our plans. Um, The (laughs) only one that I marked, because it was at the beginning of the book, back when I was like, I'm going to mark a lot of things and take notes, and then, you know, shit happened, and I didn't do that. Um, I marked a, a line on page 24. That's how early and ambitious it was. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> gave it up, but I, I marked this. I thought it was cool sounding. Um, all my life had been murk and depths, but I was not part of that dark water. I was a creature within it. Yes. I remember loving that part too. Yes. Yes. Yes, queen. <laughs> yes, Madeline. Get it. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I have two things. Okay. One, I marked because it is very romantic and beautiful, and it's about Daedalus. Wink, wink, Mary. OTP. Daedalus did not long outlive his son. His limbs turned gray and nerveless, and all his strength was transmuted into smoke. I had no right to claim him. I knew it. But in a solitary life, there are rare moments where another soul dips near yours as stars once a year brush the earth. Such a constellation was he to me. Oh, yeah, I like that line, too. That was one where I was like, maybe I should mark this. And then I was like, that seems like a lot of work. I was just like, ugh, the romance swoon. And then here's one that I marked, um, just (laughs) (laughs) re-feminism. Later, years later, I would hear a song made of our meeting. The boy who sang it was unskilled, missing notes more often than he hit, yet the sweet music of the verses shone through his mangling. I was not surprised by the portrait of myself, the proud witch undone before the hero's sword, kneeling and begging for mercy. Humbling women seems to me a chief pastime of poets, as if there can be no story unless we crawl and weep. Mm-hmm. Gotta ask Todd some, about that, Mary. Some poet shade. Oh, shit. Ask Ben about some that, poet too. Shade. Ask all the male poets we know about yeah. that. What about that, <laughs> male poets? Let us know it. In your email to us, and we'll yes. read it. If you're well, a male poet, write as in. a as a woman poet. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, as a woman poet, it's just a great. I don't write. I don't write like that. As no. a woman poet, <laughs> doctor. <laughs> doctor um, poet. Doctor, yeah. As a doctor and a poet, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to brag. Um, no, but on the subject of poetry, I just wanted to say it was nice to read one of these stories, not as an epic poem. (laughs) (laughs) Because, well, listen, I love a good epic poem. Especially, I really did love, like, the Iliad of of these would have been my favorite Mm -hmm. epic poem of of classics. However, it's exhausting. (laughs) Um, And, like, this was, like, just a much more... Pleasant. um, Enjoyable way to take that in. Yeah. Mhm. It's like it's like a page turner. Like yeah, mm-hmm. which is uh, I would say epic poems are not. Yeah. <laughs> Typically. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're more of a slow burn. And I say this again as a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I believe them to not be page turners. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to find out what happens next in this poem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, as they were originally told, it would be like, I can't wait to hear what so-and-so is going to s- say tomorrow night. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, they're all just sitting around telling I'll these stories. i keep that rhyme from tonight in my head. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
guess at what it might be tomorrow. Do we want to do ratings? Yeah. Yeah. Is it ratings yeah. time? Who wants to go I first? I gave it a four. Nice. All right. Gave it four out of five. Maybe it would have been a 4.5. Yeah. That's a good, good solid rating, Mary. Yeah, it was yeah. really good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I too, am giving it a four. That's all. I'm going to give it a five. <gasps> yeah. Which I Kelly never do. is giving a book a five. I know. I never do this. I can't remember the last time I did this. That's awesome. Um, I really – and, like, I kind of knew I would love it. Yeah. But it was exactly what I expected it to be. Which mm-hmm. is exactly what I wanted it to be. There was a lot of there was a lot of hype around this book, and that's one of those things that's exciting, but it's also kind of like nerve wracking when you're mm-hmm. reading it because you're like, "What if I don't love it as much as everyone else does, and then I have to be pissed off that people love this book?" Yeah, that's always a distinct possibility. That's how I feel yeah. about Hades Town. Um. <laughs> Oh, you don't like oh, Hades Town? Is that no? I'm just in? like, what happens if I don't like it? Oh. Yeah, and everybody <laughs> like, else loves it and scandal. is saying what a good piece of musical theater it is. Then I'm gonna feel weird about it, and so I'm scared to listen to it. Um. Yeah. Well, I gave this book a four, but I would say it's probably a four point five. And you know, like I just finished reading it, and so sometimes whether a book is a four or a five is something that has to develop over time for me. I kind of have to sit. I have to see how much I'm thinking about this. And I know, Kelly, you finished this book, like, a week ago. Yeah. Um, I finished this book earlier today, so I need yeah. more time. Um, I finished this book right before we started. <laughs> tonight. So, near hours ago. It's, so. it's fluctuating somewhere between a four and a five, but I definitely, like, this is one of those books where uh, I need some more time to digest and decide, like, how how much it's going to hold on to my heart, like, a couple weeks from now. Yeah. It was just, like, such a joy to read it. Like, Yay. truly, I loved every minute of it. And I just, I'm really glad I got to read it. I'm looking at the character list that Kelly made. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even really use it, but... I told you we wouldn't need it. it I fine. did some description. Glaucus is described as boat dude. <laughs> Glaucoma? <laughs> Um, having, having listened to it, I would say that I wish that I had read it because Mm -hmm. I think that books with so many lovely passages, it just like hits me different when I can sit with it. I agree. It's different. Reread things. And this was, well, one, I was rushing because I, two days ago, realized we were recording today. And so I had to listen to it quick, real quick, like, and so I think that <laughs> three that times might speed, have, like dampened my experience a little. Yeah. I think yeah. So I'm here to say, you wanna... don't listen to this one and don't listen to it real fast. Um, however, <laughs> Susan, we're glad you listened to it so that you could help us with pronunciation. So maybe you don't That's listen to here. it, but make your friend listen to it so that they can tell you how to pronounce it. Or just listen to this, write down the pronunciation and then go. All right, read through the character list real fast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or you could just YouTube each character's name and yeah. listen to it. There you go. A classic strategy. Exactly. So, there you go. If you have any questions, comments, feedback about Circe by Madeline Miller, or if you just want to, you know, flex your mythology knowledge and tell us how wrong we were, whatever, just email us at the squad at booksquadgoals.com and um, we'll probably read your feedback on the next 
book episode. We will. We will read it. <laughs> we always read it. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of, we have some listener feedback. This is from the Mars Room. Um, This person wanted to remain anonymous because they are talking about their um, uh, occupation or previous occupation. So does someone else want to read this one since I read, I talk, I feel like I've been talking a lot. (laughs) I would read, I will read it. Okay, go Mary. Uh, I love a mystery, you know. Yeah, so, again, this is um, feedback from um, the Mars Room. From I gave the Mars Room two stars on Goodreads. I had a lot of the same issues you all brought up on the podcast. Too many narrators, lack of character development, lack of plot. But my main beef was with the depiction of sex workers. As a former stripper, I am a firm believer in applying nothing about us without us. And fiction about strippers written by folks with no industry experience is my number one pet peeve. Kushner's writing about the strip club fell flat and felt extremely inauthentic to me. Additionally, one passage talks about how the Russian girls, quotes around Russian, invade her club and give $20 handjobs that make it, quote, impossible for her to earn money giving lap dances. This is a prime example of what we call lateral whorephobia and rate shaming, Mm -hmm. judging other sex workers for having different boundaries or lower rates. Throw in straight-up racism for stereotyping all Russian sex workers as cheap and undermining. This is a common stereotype in the sex worker community that hurts women of Eastern European descent and leads to mistreatment by the club and other dancers even when they, quote, play by the rules. This scene happened pretty early in the book, and Kushner lost me from there. I have no experience with prison, but I assume she did the same level of, quote, research, where she leans into the more shocking and seedy elements for effect. I did enjoy her descriptions of locations, as I've spent a lot of time in San Francisco, L.A., and driving up the I-5 through the Central Valley. That's what earned her two stars. Rachel Kushner should stick with what she knows. I wish all authors everywhere would stop using stripping or sex work as a device to show us how traumatic or difficult a character's life is. It's cheap and lazy and does not accurately depict the complex experience of sex work. Thanks. That is super enlightening and we really Um, appreciate that. Yeah. And I mean, I hadn't really thought of it from that perspective, obviously, um, because I don't have a history in that business. Um, I mean, I also dislike the depictions of sex work, but that was more from a, like, I felt like it was just in there to be shocking. Um, yeah. Yeah. And over the top. Um, but I think that, yeah, it's important that, you know, we're not, uh, stereotyping groups of people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that we think of everyone as people and not yeah. Yeah. an occupation. And I mean, honestly, like, I agree that saying sex work is like a shorthand to say someone had a bad life is really lazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are, I'm sure, a lot of well-adjusted people who are fine. Who yeah, I know many well-adjusted sex workers. Like, yeah. Well, not many, but a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a ton of sex worker friends. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but it's like... You know, if there you are did, that'd be who, okay, you know? If I did, that would be great, actually. Who, are 
stripping and dancing and doing other sorts of sex work. And, like, they're okay. They don't necessarily have some traumatic incident that led them there. Yeah, and people don't necessarily do it out of, like, desperation, like, the way that this book seems to imply. It's like, this is an actual job for a lot of people. Yeah, Yeah. you actually can make a lot of money stripping. There's a huge stigma against it, despite the fact that a shit ton of people use those services on a daily basis. But it's good to hear from someone who knows that this is a crappy depiction. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. This was our first anonymous write-in. Um, History. So, how cool. Yeah. History being made. It's history Please being made right here on episode 31. Well, Bam. technically, it's episode 31, but technically our 61st episode. Oh, man. Um, if you've had experience in witchcraft and want to write it anonymously... <laughs> We'll take love it. that too. I'm going to oh write gosh, in anonymously about my teen Wicca experience. <laughs> <laughs> and now we know, so. Oops. I forgot about cool. Wicca. Um, I forgot about Wicca. <laughs> I didn't. It's <laughs> like a blast from the past. Cool. Uh, should we talk about what's on the blog? Yeah. Yeah. Emily, did you want to talk about your featured bookstore? Let me tell you about my featured bookstore, which is totally. Something I remembered. <laughs> um, so the featured bookstore for this month is, oh my gosh, Starline Books um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I am not from Chattanooga, but I do go to Chattanooga once a year in on MLK weekend to do Christmas with my dad's side of the family because my dad's family is so chill that they wait and do Christmas on MLK weekend because they just can't wow. be bothered to do it earlier. Um, so we do MLK weekend in Chattanooga. And one of the things we do is go hang out downtown, get coffee, whatever. Um, and more recently we've been able to visit Starline books, which is a fairly new bookstore in downtown Chattanooga. It's right across the street from the Chattanooga choo choo. Chattanooga um, choo choo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so easy to find, you know, because Chattanooga Choo Choo is kind of a, a landmark. Um, but they've been open as of August 2015. Um, and it's a super, super cute store. It's They've got an upstairs and a downstairs. Upstairs is more their um, literary fiction selections. And then if you go downstairs, um, they have a great selection of nonfiction book and nonfiction books and children's books and YA books um, and little toys and stuff down there. They also have a lot of just like book related goodies like, you know, mugs and candles and things like that. Um, They have readings there. They have um, other events. They have book groups. They have a cute little thing where they do blind date with a book. Um, I like that a lot. It's super cute. They... Just wrap the book up in just, like, plain brown paper and then describe the book on the outside. So that way you can literally not judge a book by its cover. Just pick it up based on, like, the short description and then just surprise, see what you get. So you get, you you know, you know you're going to be kind of, like, interested in it because you get a little, like, sneak peek at what it's about. 
but you still get to be surprised. So I thought that was super cute. Um, yeah. Um, so if you want to check them out, see what's going on in their store, they have events going on all the time. Um, you can go to starlinebooks.com. We will put the link in the show notes so you can check them out. Um, yeah, it's just a super cute store. And like from the outside, it looks like it's going to be like a tiny, cute little store. And then you go inside and you're like, dang, there's a whole downstairs. There's so many books. And it's very exciting. I love when that happens. So yeah, check them out. That's what I got. Nice. Totally Yay, prepared. Bookstores. <laughs> yeah, bookstores. We like bookstores. <laughs> Do they have a website? Uh, where you can order stuff or um, so you can't order books online. They're kind of you know like they're still new. They're still figuring right, right. things out. Um, but what they're doing, they do have an audiobook thing online where you can purchase audiobooks. Okay, but um, you can't buy regular books online okay. yet. But yeah, but they're they're still working that out. Yeah, they awesome. want to offer that eventually. So, yes. Yeah cool what else is on the blog we got so many recaps mm-hmm. are you the one is still happening so good bachelor in paradise is firing up bip yeah um don't know what that's gonna look like but we shall see <laughs> very excited for all the drama as yeah. always um what else we got i feel like i've like accepted the gospel of Are You the One? Yay! This season, and I'm really enjoying it. And I look forward to a new episode every week. And now it's coming on on Mondays. So there's a new episode tonight, tonight. Mary. I know. I'm like, I need to get more people into this. I know. Why aren't people watching the show? I'm it's still so good. Watch it, I promise. Oh my gosh. You gotta, you gotta get on it. I recently, oops. I recently had, I just dropped this tiny, um, exciting horse on the <laughs> keyboard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just had a phone call with a friend from college and she was like, Kelly, I started watching this show called Are You the One? Oh my god. And I can't stop. And I was like, oh my Yay. god, I can't believe it. Like, <laughs> Every, The universe is telling you you have to watch it. It's true. So what's going on? Um... I also recently watched the latest season of Veronica Mars. It's been a while since we got a full-on season of Veronica Mars. Um, like, since the mid-2000s. So Actual years. Yeah. yeah. Um, a decade or, or more. So I'm going to write about what it's like having Veronica Mars back. And what Veronica Mars is like, you know, in the now times. Cool. So um, that's coming. I would like to write a Euphoria post because I've been watching Euphoria. Yeah. Instead of Are You the One, but that's fine. Well, sorry. I got to um, have a reason to keep my HBO subscription. So. Mm, that makes sense. <laughs> You're not um, wrong. <laughs> I'm like, I'm paying 20 fucking dollars a month for this. So I need to watch at least one over, other thing so. other than last week tonight. You should knock it down to 15 and just pay for streaming. Streaming? Like. HBO now is fifteen a month. Oh well, that's what I have. Whatever, it's still fifteen. I was about to say you're paying five extra dollars. Anyhow, cool. they told Kelly twenty. <laughs> wow, yeah, it's still not worth like 
I mean, it's twenty for witches. For you, yeah. twenty dollars. I love last week tonight, but I don't know that it's worth fifteen dollars a month. To so I got to Zazu give you the news. <laughs> I have to watch at least one other show on HBO. Um. Anyway, I will eventually write about Euphoria. Cool. I have a super exciting blog post that is already out that yeah. I'd like to direct everyone to about. Kittens. Tiny but mighty. <coughs> Tiny but mighty is the new book from Hannah Shaw, aka the Kitten Lady. Um, it comes out at the time we're recording this tomorrow, but it's already out by the time you're listening. And it is essentially a guide to how to foster kittens and be. Sort of the best, the best help you can to your local cat community. So she has chapters about trap neuter return programs. She talks about um, like how to best serve community cats and what to do with feral cats, etc. And she also has many chapters that detail. Um, how to foster kittens, both kittens who are weaned and, you know, just fine and kittens who need to be bottle fed and kittens who are with their moms. Like she goes into extreme detail. There is even a poop chart (laughs) to show you what different colors of kitten poop mean. And woven throughout the book, there are stories of fosters that she has had in the past and of her two personal cats that um, are hers. And it's just very sweet and heartwarming and optimistic in a way that a lot of things aren't. I mean, there are like horrifying statistics of how many cats are killed in shelters yearly, but also Hannah Shaw just has like a super optimistic we need to do what we can mentality that's very inspiring and the book is gorgeous it is full color glossy pages lots of beautiful pictures of cats taken by hannah and her partner andrew like it's just a really great book a good resource if you want to foster kittens or get involved with tnr programs in your community but also just like an interesting read yeah so i would highly i would highly recommend and so i have a review and sort of discussion of tiny but mighty up on the blog now and and if you don't already you should follow the kitten lady and the yes. cat photographer on instagram yeah. honestly brings so much joy to my days susan what you got wrote about a podcast you did it <laughs> for pod squad for pod squad the pod squad hey it had been a little while yeah so no no um yeah so i will have written about this podcast called the dream um emily and i are both fascinated by multi-level marketing yeah <laughs> oh my is that and, about, <laughs> ooh, i might have to listen to this oh it's it's so good um and i it's not that new it's actually like a couple years old i think but um it's like 11 episodes long, but it really dives into these multi-level marketing companies that you've seen pop up all over your Facebook with people trying to get you to either buy or start selling um, many products from shampoo to 
fake nails to shakes to <laughs> it's everything. But yeah, it's like a it's an investigative podcast that really gets into even like the legal stuff behind this and the psychology behind it. It's mm. really cool. That sounds good. Yeah. I don't know what I wrote about it yet. But. I'm very interested specifically in how MLMs target uh, women, especially like, like, I don't want to say housewives, but like, like stay at mothers. home moms. Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's in there yeah. <laughs> for sure. I find that, I find that very interesting. Um, uh, they have a, like one of the producers joins, joins an MLM undercover to like see if she <laughs> can actually be successful. Wow. Um, it's Did it pretty, not work out? It's, it's I assume she, she isn't successful in that. Well, here's the fun fact, and here's why you can assume she wasn't successful. 99% of people who sign up end up with a net loss. Yeah. So, um, for yeah. any MLM, not just the one that she's in. So if that yeah. tells you like We're how high up in the pyramid you have to be to make money, it's pretty high. Does yeah. it disclose <laughs> which one she's in? Uh, yes, it's called um, Limelight. Mm. It was like... At one time it was Lime Life, and then it changed to Lime Light, or the other way around. There's some like thing where they had to change their name, but it's a makeup. It's like a supposed to be like a high end makeup. <laughs> I said that in quotes because yeah, it sounds like it's actually pretty bad makeup. <laughs> but I'm sure. Yeah, think like a uh, unique. That's probably the one you see yeah. a lot more of in the makeup land. Oh, is that Similar how you say that? that? I always look at it as Yannique. Are you kidding? No. <laughs> <laughs> That makes more sense. But, you know, the way it's spelled. <laughs> Yannick. Yeah, but it's like you. Like, yeah, no, I get that now. <laughs> oh, man. That's hilarious. Look, okay. Anyway, um, we also have a guest blog from past guest Janet Dale about yeah. the book Three Women. Mary, you've read Woo. this book, right? I did. Cool. I'm I'm really excited to hear what Janet has to say about it. We talk, I talked with her a little bit about it when we were both in the middle of it. And I don't know how I feel about it. You would not expect me to read it because it's like Very super sexy. graphic depictions yeah. of sex and Well, that's I just about got it. the audiobook, so maybe I'll check it out. <laughs> Buckle up, because it's probably a spicy audiobook. <laughs> it's also um being adapted by Showtime, I believe. But into how, a series. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it's it's an interesting premise because it's like this woman, this, the author, sort of researched the book over a period of eight years, I think. And she, like, talked to these women extensively and, like, read documents, public and private, to kind of research all of it. And she gives each woman a really unique voice. And it's, I don't know, it's just, like, three different women's stories of, like sexual desire in there throughout their lives but i mean my takeaway at the end was like um these three women have been manipulated in really uncomfortable ways by her or by other people i mean by a lot of different people i mean most notably to me there's one character who has an affair with her high school teacher when she's still in high school and he manipulates her, his wife manipulates her, 
And she ends up just kind of being, like, publicly ruined because of this, when really she was sort of, like, groomed into it. Yeah. Yeah. Which sucks. Yeah. But I'm interested to hear what Janet has to say about it. The writing is beautiful, and I know Janet has an MFA degree. <laughs> yes. Oh. She so has she an probably- MFA degree? Yes. Emma Faye gave her a degree. (laughs) Yes. Emma Faye herself came down (laughs) and bestowed a degree. Came down. Um, What's next on the podcast, Emily? So so next on the podcast is uh, we're going to talk about the movie Where'd You Go, Bernadette, starring everyone's favorite, Kate Blanchett. Queen Kate. Selene is here. Cersei is like, I heard you were talking about me. Queen Kate, member of my sex cult. Also, quick plug, I was on an episode of Everything Trying to Kill You about Bad Times the El Royale. Go check that out. We'll put a link in the notes. Yes, yes, yes. I hear her going, me, me. Like, don't pick me up. Me. I just need Cersei to be on this track. She was like, please put me down immediately. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> she was like, I hate it, but her struggling sounds are so cute. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> after, uh, did you say we're in the interview? No, sorry. I got distracted by the cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, in the next episode, um, I will be interviewing Kate Davies about her new book. Um, in at the deep end, which I have right here next to me. Um, and I'm excited to chat with her about it. Um, I know I mentioned this last time, but if you didn't listen to our last episode, (laughs) um, (laughs) what the heck, you should go back and listen to it. But also, um, this, this book's kind of been described as a lesbian Bridget Jones. So interesting. uh, very interesting. And I had a very cool, interesting conversation with her that I'm excited to share with you guys. Yeah. Yay. After all that, on the next book episode, we will be discussing The Memory Police, a brand new book by Yoko Ogawa. Brand new, meaning it is not even out yet as we speak. (laughs) No. But we will be reading it super quick. Yes. And (laughs) podcasting about it. I'm excited. The premise sounds wild. I am always interested in uh novels from japanese authors mm-hmm. and i was the one who originally posted this book to the group mm-hmm. because i really liked the cover it so cool cover. if we don't like it at least don't... it'll look good on the bookstagrams yeah <laughs> and you can blame me and not mary maybe <laughs> Ma- mary did make the choice to to pick it though yeah. <laughs> i'm excited so i think i'm too. excited too it looks good. Is that, um, is oh, that, yeah. I guess this is my part to do. What? Yeah, do How did this think? fall upon me? <laughs> you just got a rhythm going at this point. It's like... Yeah, it's, it sounds better when you say it. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. I guess I'll do it then. Uh, follow us on social media. We are at Book Squad Goals on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can send us an email at thesquad at booksquadgoals.com if you have any comments about anything we've ever talked about in our whole lives on this podcast. Um, please, 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 please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is how we will be found by other people. 
And if you don't do it, and if you haven't done it, I feel like you don't really love us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah. So thank you for listening. Our website is bookswaggoals.com. Our blog is bookswaggoals.com slash blog. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) This has been a pleasure and a joy. Roger says hi. Oh, we started to. Aw. Roger Minotaur. Roger Minotaur. Roger Minotaur <laughs> Fetter Elliot. <laughs> Hyphen reach. Hyphen reach. Oh. If Justin chooses to formally adopt him. I mean, I refer to myself as Rez's mother, so it's, um... Maybe you could both hyphenate. Just, you guys should change your last name to a hyphenation of all your dog's names. Yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> Rez Roger Mabel. That sounds good. Susan Rez Roger Mabel. I love it. (laughs) That does have a ring to it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is a new thing that should happen, and you should definitely leave this in the podcast. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or not, I mean. Roger Mabel, that's your name. See, how do you determine the order of dogs? Is it like... That's just what flows best. Yeah, yeah. Does it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note... Goodbye. If you're still here, what are you doing? (laughs)